Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. It's me, Bill T, back again. Well, this is the first episode of 2020, and I'm pretty stoked that we made it a year in. We got 53 podcasts released last year, and we're kicking this year off with a pretty special podcast. Um, but before I get into that, I want to let you guys know what's shaking in regards to things happening this year. So this year, uh, there are a lot of good things to come. A lot of great interviews are scheduled and set up. Uh, uh, R.K. Smith, Kurt Metzger, we've got a lot of people on deck coming up. So that that you'll hear more of later as the episodes go on. One of the things that I'm going to be doing this year is uh, we're going to be building a bug, my brother George and I. We'll be building a garage restoration project. Something one of you average guys will be building in your garage. We're going to go through the whole process for these 12 months. And at the end of this year, we're going to give this bug away. So any potential sponsors that are interested in sponsoring this project, uh, before we reach out to you, feel free to jump on board and send me an email at Built Let's Talk Dubs and let us know what you guys want to contribute. But this project will be more of a uh, buy it, build it in your garage, maybe not a full-blown restoration, depending on how clean we find the original car, but... We'll go through all that. The first month we're going to spend assessing how we locate the best starter project for the best price and some of the tips and tricks that we do to locate stuff, whether it's on Craigslist, word of mouth, Facebook, or what have you. So that's something to look forward to. That will be probably an episode each month in addition to some videos. So hit me up with an email, guys, at billetletstalkdubs.com. Let me know what type of videos you want to see in regards to how to tune your bug, how to set the carbs, narrow front beams, any of these kinds of things, because these will be some videos that we'll be putting up for you guys on our YouTube channel, which, by the way, if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, go to YouTube and type in Let's Talk Dubs and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Leave us some feedback, some comments. And also don't forget to go and put some comments on your Apple, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you can leave your marks and rate our podcast. Make sure you give us five stars and rate and review us. By doing that, you're able to help more V-Dub fans find the podcast. So on this week's podcast, Bruce Myers. Bruce Myers invented the Myers Manx. He was the first guy to drive a car from Tijuana down to La Paz in a timed race. He was influential in a lot of things, as you'll find out during this podcast, and he was there at the beginning of a lot of new things in respect to the VW industry. It was a real honor to interview him. Uh, been a fan of his for a long time, and really, uh, you get the sense of what kind of guy he is. Just a creative, influential, idea-driven guy, and still at 93 years old, he's out in the garage working on stuff to this day, so... Uh, been one of my great opportunities to interview him, a living legend, someone that's been so influential in the VW scene that's created a phenomenon with the quote-unquote dune buggies, a.k.a. the myers Manks, that's gone all over the world. It is now worldwide. It's just so great to be able to talk to somebody that's got so much history and hear it specifically from them, which is one of the reasons I really enjoy doing this. So without any further ado, guys, it's my honor and it's unbelievably exciting to bring to you guys interview with Bruce Myers. Here you go. Hey Bruce, how are you? I'm just rushing about today, and I got business going on. And I, I'm sorry, I hung you up for a few minutes, but I'm okay now. Yeah, no problem, no problem. But uh, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I don't know if you've heard of the podcast. Let's talk dubs. Um, 
but to kind of give you a cursory overview of the podcast is I interview a lot of people specifically in the VW industry, um, people that have been influential and have made an impact in the VW scene. And so it's, it's, it's an honor to get you on here on the podcast. And I've got a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm documenting history for the VW scene over the last few years. So I've got drag racers and, uh, you know, Ron Fleming and cow look guys and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, you're my first buggy, you're, you're the buggy legend. So why not have you on? Right. Well, that's very kind of you to say all that. I've been around for a long time. I'm 93 years old. Yeah. But I don't feel anything, but I want to keep going. And maybe that's what keeps me young. Huh? No, absolutely. That's fantastic. So, so I have some questions because ultimately, you know, the purpose of my podcast is to make sure that I can document the history and there's no better way to document the history than, you know, today's day and age, people, they're not reading books and doing the things that they, that, that they seek out information, but if they have it at their fingertips, which where we're at today, the podcast okay. really makes it easy for people. So, um, you know, my goal today is to get, get some good history from you on, you know, okay. the Manx and how it all started. And you know, my, my first question is really, um, you know, where did the inspiration to come up with the, with the Manx well, come from? First of all, my mother as a baby, as soon as I can remember, she said, oh, Brucey, you're a dreamer. I'm, I'm a dreamer. I dream and I dream and I dream. All my life I dream and my mom kept saying, you're a dreamer. Well, so, okay, I, I don't dream about making money at the other end of my dream. It's always about some experience. Yeah. Like going, going to sea, going through a storm, going to Tahiti, being on a tramp steamer in the Orient. I did all those things because I just was a dreamer, I guess. So... Here I am today. I seem to have been that the first of so many things, like the first of the Volkswagen Dune buggy, mm-hmm. and I, I was inspired by a few handmade buggies around. They were made out of metal, and they were with Volkswagen engines in the back, and they were little short, cute little cars. They kind of reminded me of my boyhood, my childhood of loving the funnies or reading Mickey Mouse and all those characters in little binky cars. So the car has a, a kind of a, a childish look about it. And the children respond to it immediately, always have. So I, I, I spent all my years in art schools getting some kind of an, I don't know if you'd call it a, <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to get rich. I was trying to learn how to draw. Right. I draw very well. I, I wound up being a, a teacher and I taught life drawing. That's figure drawing. That's naked ladies, you know? Yeah. Um, portraiture. Portraiture has a far more accurate demand because if you aren't accurate, you don't get a, a likeness of the guy you're drawing. So without a likeness, you don't have the right drawing. So that, that demands of you accuracy. The, the figure drawing is all more about gesture, a sense of movement, life, mm-hmm. all the, all of these things were inspired into my building things with my hands. I've, I've been in love with boats for my life. I, I tooled fiberglass sailboats for the biggest company many years for several years before I did the dune buggy. Mm-hmm. And when I saw these dune buggies running around, handmade ones, that is, in the sand dunes and the Pismo Beach and such places, that's what made me said those things ought to be made out of fiberglass because first of all making them out of steel and covering them with aluminum and pop rivets takes you six months or three months or something but a fiberglass 
can be made in a matter of hours. That is the body. Yeah. It, it can be actually bolted together in a matter of days. So you, you've shortened it from months, weeks, and days to maybe days, hours, and minutes. And that was what made it durable, affordable, and desirable because I, I brought a artistic bent to it. I, I've got a lot of words from past uh, magazine editors. There was 45 magazines in those days, car magazines, yeah. automotive magazines. And of all those magazines, one of, one guy just, he went on and on about this thing having such a, a bent that teaches uh, people to say, I want one because it looks like fun. Well, the fun part of it was the main, the main thing that drove the whole business. It, it got so good that it jumped across the oceans to all other parts of the world. It's in all over Europe, Australia, South America, Mexico. So I was very successful. I started out with just me and the dog in the doorway and some guy that I hired that could lay up fiberglass. <laughs> and we, we made one every week or so. And uh, it got to be so that it was a huge success. And I had... Uh, from a, a little tiny shop like that to a great big shop of 40, 50,000 feet. Wow. And 75 people in the, in the business, 60 or 70, I should say, and 25 kits a day, 200 dealers, uh, dealers across the oceans. And so I became the guy about dune buggies because I, I guess my artistic ability and my knowledge of making things with nuts and bolts and my hands is it all came together with a buggy and so i'm a, i was very very happy to uh, to have such a success but then some guy said i copied him i don't know you can copy something that was made out of metal and steel out of fiberglass because the fiberglass gives it the ability to make sculptural shapes that you can't do with metal sure that is you wouldn't make them quickly with metal at least but the uh, the business of the fiberglass over the metal was such a joke and yet in the courtroom i was at a court to only a judge there was no jury and uh, the other lawyer kept saying now our dune buggy your honor has four wheels and a volkswagen engine in the rear is that not similar well of course the judge says of course it's similar yeah and so, our dune buggy has a sloping hood a windshield and two seats for two people is that not similar and he went that way for three days See that's dirty business. Sure, they 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 do nothing of the artistic side of it. So I'm I'm just at a loss, and I lost my patent. So at the end of a couple of weeks of that courtroom, and I lost my patent, and my company that was making 25 kits a day went downhill to where I had to shut the doors. So I was very bitter, and I went back to doing the things I used to do with building boats and so forth. Yeah, and so for 24 years past i was invited to france by jackie morell a publisher of magazines and he had the, the 25th anniversary of the dune buggy on the shores of europe i i came with my wife he had 1100 volkswagens he had three or 400 plastic fiberglass dune buggies he wanted me to send this whole thing around Le Mans racetrack and have me lead the whole thing well i said to him sorry I'm going to use a bad word, but I said, I'm not leading those anywhere. Yeah. And they, they put me out of business and he was incredulous. He says, you're still angry. It's been over 20 years. So what? He said, 
He said, what is that? I said, I hear a squeaking. Anyway, he said, you've got to change your focus. You've had uh, your your anger. It will kill you. You know, there's a, a chemical in your body that will make you die sooner. He says, you want to not be angry because anger is deadly. And he says, why don't you just change focus? I said, focus on what? There's nothing positive about it. It's all negative. He says, no, the positive part is the two smiling faces. Look at the smiling faces. Think nothing of the people that screwed you. He says, those, those people, half of them are dead. The other half don't give a shit. Yeah. So I was absolutely stunned, stunned by his logic. And he says, go home, start a club, write a book, and build a new Manx for the 90s. And I've done all that. The Manx Clubbers now got close to 6,000 people. It gathers the Volkswagen dune buggy from all around across the, the oceans in Australia, in France, in Belgium. And so I'm I'm a happy guy again because I, I was told to stop pissing myself off about other people. And and you know what that did? That rejuvenated my life. Well, uh, and I noticed that, 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 you know, in the early 90s, it started, you know, you started coming back. When you did that, uh, that thing in France? Uh, let's see. That was 94. 94. And I had, I had a couple more specific questions, and I kind of wanted to dive into a little bit of that because, uh, you know, when you develop something so unique, and, and I kind of wanted to touch on how quickly things took off when you developed it because, I mean, it, was, it wasn't long before there was this massive dune buggy craze, and they were yeah. dune buggies on TV. There was a cartoon about dune buggies. I mean, you couldn't do anything without, w- without seeing a dune buggy. And then that was – I was – Trying to figure out how to how you were able to protect what you did, especially no, if you're you, building. No, 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 no. Don't get. You can't protect it. Yeah. Forget the the birdie, The dirty people in the world. There's far more of them than there are good people. Right. And and they haven't got a damn care about how you get there. They all they want to do is make the money quick. See, it got to the movies, Hollywood. The the script writers never uh, let the thing get by. There was, you know. A lot of famous actors in dude buggies. There were several movies made with Myers Banks in them and so forth. And I was, I felt real good about all that. Yeah. But that was a brief thing. It lasted four or five years. The the bigger thing that I touched was off road racing. The oh, very absolutely that I mean it, the 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 creation of the Manx and and the that off road buggy. I mean, the, if I'm not mistaken. The buggy, the the red one, was one of the first ones to do the Mexican 1000. Is that correct? That's right. It wasn't the, one of the first. It was the first. So was that actually a race when it started, or was it just started as an idea? See, here's here's let me straighten you out. Please. There was there was two guys on motorcycles. They were great bike riders, the the, the Eakins brothers, mm-hmm. and their friends, and they decided to see if they could go from. Tijuana to La Paz, that's a thousand, close to a thousand miles. And they did it in 39 hours or something. And so that was in 1962. Now, two years passed, 1964, nothing has happened. Nobody came and challenged that. And so they did it again. And they couldn't beat themselves by more than six or eight minutes. They yeah. did it again, 39 hours or something. Well, I had a dear friend, Ted Mangles, 
he says, you know, we've been down in Baja for many, three years. We we went down there in 1964, five and six and 67. He says, I don't see why we can't beat the motorcycle record of 39 hours. And so I said, no, I don't think you can. Those guys are too good. He says, well, look at here. And he takes a map and crawls around on the floor with this huge map. And he says, I, I'm gonna, not going to tell you, but I'm... I guess that one, two, and three speeds, like five miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. He says, Use, using numbers like that, how, how long do you think it would take to get to La Paz? So I sat there and it took an hour for me. And you know what? My time was about equal to his. He was 10 or 12 minutes faster than me. Uh, uh, that was all just guesswork. Yeah. Now, now you beat the bikes by over 10 hours. We did that in 29 or 30 hours on, on a map, crawling around on our hands and knees. And he says, see, you can do it. I said, oh, for Christ's sake. So I went out to my shop the next morning, and I started looking at these propane bottles and and looked in a book, and they hold eight gallons, and and three of those would be 25 gallons. And and let's see, with another five gallons between my knees and one a two and a half behind the seats and we went on and on like we needed 65 gallons we don't know that we needed 65 gallons to go a thousand miles yeah but we decided that maybe the car would get 15 miles a gallon that's the best we could guess at it because you're never in low you're never in fourth you're always in second and third sure up and down up and down and you drive a thousand miles that way and by god we guess good we, we went down there in the, in the right time, and we turned around, and now we had to make it legal. See, what we did was we tried to see if we could make it real, and we went from, from Tijuana to La Paz, and we, we beat their record, but we didn't have it authorized. Right. So we turned, we turned to the Mexicans and I went to the police station and said, this is what we want to do. He says, why? <laughs> <laughs> Because we can. It hasn't been done before. Right. He sent sent us to the tourism department. And so we went to the Mexican tourists and they said, yes, we know how to do this. We'll send you a message to Tijuana that you're leaving at a certain time. And when you get in there, you go to the police station of the the sergeant at the desk. And we we got there in uh, 33 hours, I believe, because we had a couple of breakdowns. We beat we beat the bikes by over seven or eight hours. Wow. And so the, the Mexicans never get to work on time. We sat outside waiting for them to open the door. And so anyway, at we, the police department, you sat, you sat waiting for them to open the police department at the police department. The desk <laughs> sergeant didn't know who we were. He couldn't speak English. We couldn't speak Spanish. So we went over to the tourism department and that's where the door said, Oh, you'd be open at eight o'clock and we're at there at nine 30 sleeping in the buggy in front of the place and he finally unlocks the door and he says oh, i know who you are but i'll give you this time and that was that but you cheated us two or three hours no no this is the hour so we we took it for 34 45 so we beat the bikes by five hours yeah it doesn't matter we came home my wife shirley worked at road and track magazines at the uh desk of the advertising mm-hmm. and uh, the, the people that run the place, Johnny Laidbond, were really sweet. They said, you've done something that ought to let the world know about it. But how do you go let the world know about it? He says, well, we know how because they have a list of people of every car manufacturer, every PR man in every car, every car magazine, every author 
everybody that ever says anything about anything about cars. And they mailed this thing out and said, Buggy Beats Bikes in Baja. Now, oh, nice. People don't know who they A buggy, was that a perambulator? Beats, is that a bicycle? Where the hell is Baja? So the whole thing wound up with the first trip. The first race was organized. We started Noron National Off-Road Racing Association. And uh, the president, that president was Ed, Bar Ed uh, Perlman. He says, you're closer to Volkswagen than anybody. Why don't you see if you can get some money for the, the thing? And so he says, uh, you know, you're closer to VW because you make Volkswagen-based buggies. Sure. And so we wrote a big letter to Englewood Cliffs, New Jersey. And we said, this is a big chance to get your name at the, the, the beginning of something. And they they wrote back and said, if you in any way tell, make the world think we have a racing image, we will sue you. This was Volkswagen? Yes. I yes. wish they had that. So, yeah. so at the 40th anniversary, 40 years later, they came with 100 grand and a couple of new cars to give to the bosses. See, so they, they turned around. Sure. Now they just recently made a big noise about the fact they're going to go and be in the next uh, score race. So, see, they, they had to learn the hard way. And, and that's okay. I don't care anymore. Well, you know, I, it's it's interesting because you see things like that, and, and you're creating from a creative side. And when you put something together like that, that it's on a VW chassis, you would think they'd want to capitalize <laughs> on well, – on, on you know you know on on they're going to end up selling more cars because I do this podcast you know it's mostly on the air cooled VW scene and I've always noticed that when even when VW came up with the new Beetle they never sought the classic Beetle drivers which is a huge demographic and said hey if you guys had a blank slate and we're going to design the new Beetle how would you design it and I believe they would have sold you know double was, the amount you know it was designed by Freeman Thomas. He's a dear friend of mine, and he saw my dude buggy as something really uh, exciting for him. Yeah, he he came and introduced himself, took me up to where he lives in up in the north end of L.A., mm -hmm. and took me to the Volkswagen studio where they're building that that car you're talking about. Yeah, and opened the door with a key. If Volkswagen knew this, they'd ship. You know. Yeah. But he, he showed me the whole thing as it was happening. Now, he's a very famous car designer. We're dear friends today. And it's just an old story that they, the Volkswagen people, have come around to realizing that I had something to do with all this. And so they've recently got a hold of myself and Witty. And we've been taken to New York for a couple of days. And uh, we saw their new electric uh, car. And then we were again taken to. Uh, uh, Monterey Peninsula again, and again the electric cars there, and I was swept around in a beautiful hotel with a lot of pretty people. And no, but no money. They didn't ever pay us anything. They just they just swept us around here and there. And what I what I answered with a thank you letter to them, I said, well your car, the color of it reminds me of a color we used to have in the buggy that works. It's called inchworm green because it was the color of an inchworm. Right. And then as a brilliant live green. And I said, the, the fender line reminds me of when I was a kid surfing, waiting for the waves to come in. It's such a couple of waves. And I said, the, the lack of noise because it's electric, maybe you could have a, 
something put out of the pedal that made the sound of a Ferrari at the back end. You know, I made kind of fun of it, but I was yeah. honest. Yeah. And I, I didn't really think much of their car. It's the car is so big because they have a, a electric platform, battery powered platform that's so big. It's, it's better for the size of a truck or a Volkswagen bus. So that's good for, but they, they build a buggy on top of it, I guess. So that's okay. Who cares? I don't, I don't get passion. Well, you know, I mean, I've got a, I've got a million questions in my head for you just because the 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 key component here is that you're the guy in in the mix during this time and you know this first Mexican 1000 race that you do just kind of getting back to that a little bit after you guys did that and kind of set set the bar how soon after that did people start to challenge did they start to challenge that that time quota interestingly the very first record in Baja with the four wheels was a car. It was a Myers Banks, one of my buggies, by a John Crean, very rich man. And uh, the problem is he was setting a record, but he stopped to camp at night. You don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a leisure speed record, huh? <laughs> so he he wasn't too serious about it, I guess. But he he his hour, I think he did it in fifty hours with camping. So that's even 10, 10 hours short of beating the bikes. And then when I came along, we did it in the Myers Banks, of course. And then the car that won the first race the following several months later was a Myers Banks, Vic Wilson. And the car, there was a motorcycle that followed. That was, uh, what's his face? I can't think of his name. And, and then another Myers Banks. So the very first four automobiles in the history of off-road racing were all Myers Banks's. And so do you think, and those were basically stock Beetle suspension, correct? Oh, 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 oh. well, that's, that's the reason they were so good. You know, when we first arrived at the first race, there's a bunch of four-wheel drive guys, you know, Broncos and Jeeps and all that stuff. And they said, where the hell do you think you're going with them damn things? Right. And we well, we're sorry. We're just here to play, have some fun. All those four-wheel drives broke. They were sprinkled all over the Baja Peninsula because they're heavy, and uh, the people driving them, they were so in love with their four-wheel drivers that they just had no sense of the fact that a Volkswagen has a trailing arm suspension. It's really quite harmless. You can just beat the crap out of it. It won't go everywhere except keep going. And the car was light. We weighed half the weight of a Jeep. And we, we went the same speeds. You know, you don't go more than 50 or 60 miles an hour most of the time. Yeah. Most of so anyway, the Jeep was not the right car, but they thought it was. Well, and, and you know, I think maybe they didn't understand power to weight, power to weight ratio, too, because, you know. And inertia. inertia. Its weight is heavy. It, does, it won't stop as quick. It won't start as fast. Yeah. And, Anytime something gets heavier, it's going to slow it all down. And, uh, you know, and, and I got to tell you, I'm thoroughly impressed because I, I personally, so I've got a couple buggies. I've got a sand car and I've also got, you know, one of these newfangled, uh, you know, Can-Am machines. And I've been down to Baja and, and we did about a thousand mile loop down there. And I mean, I'm doing it with a GPS and, you know, I mean, because when you're down there, the people that haven't been there, it's literally vast nothing when you go down there. You know what? It becomes a way of life. People that we have a club of close to 6,000 members and the people in the East, they hear about this stuff and they come out here and they put buggies together and they go and race and they are screwed from, from there on. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're back ever. 
and they bring their ladies and oh god they make a big deal out of it it's a it's a huge way of life it's an adventure for them it's the most adventurous thing they've probably ever done well and the thing that's that's amazing to me like i said when i i've done it recently for the past couple of years i go with the group that we go down there and we do about a thousand mile loop down there and and when i'm down there it's just this it, it, I mean, it's probably one of the most beautiful places I've been. The, Isn't that true? It, yes. And the terrain, there's every single type of terrain you could ever ask for. <laughs> you got mountains, you got beaches, you got God knows anything you want. Yeah, you've got hard pack, you've got silt, you've got whoops, you've got rocks. I mean, you literally have, it, it's such a versatile terrain that I, I look at this and I, I'm a VW guy. I've been in the, I've been doing VW stuff for, and it's just or, you know, 25 years I've been doing it and it's such a passion for me. But then I go down there and, I, and I'll drive that in my Can-Am with arm suspension and coilover shocks and like all the stuff. And I think to myself, man, guys used to bomb down here in a link pin beam with swing axle suspension with eight inches of travel. And they would, you know, I, I'm sorry. How, how old are you? I'm 47. That's a nice time. <laughs> okay. I'm not, I'm 93. And I'm I'm as alive as ever. I don't move as well as I used to, but uh, and I can't see. You know what's wrong with getting old? You lose your teeth, your sight, your ears, your hair. <laughs> but you never lose creation. I'm I'm building a Manx right now, a brand new one. I know that that's what that's what Winnie told me. She says he's out in the garage working on a brand new car. Yeah, and I just thought. If that's not the essence of just, you know, l- realizing that when we're on this world and we can create things right. and make things that people are going to get enjoyment out of, I mean, there's so much satisfaction in that. Is that part of the motivation behind your creations? You know, I, I, I guess I started my little conversation with you by telling you that I had a, a lot of dreams and I chased a lot of dreams when I was young and I never had a pile of money at the end of the dream. It was just the experience going to Tahiti. You know what my girlfriend said in Tahiti? When I, you like my TTs? They're bulldozers, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is awesome. So well, that's life, you see. And yeah. I spent six months on a tramp steamer in the Orient, up and down the China coast and Japan and Korea. That was all back in the 50s. And I, I, I wrote, I went across the Atlantic in one of the most historic storms that sank another ship. And, and I've seen a lot of stuff. And yeah. I, I never put money on it. You see, I've had a rich, rich life. Not to say with money, but to experience his stories. And, and I'm a storyteller. Incidentally, one little book I've got, I don't know if you read it yet, it's called Bruce Myers' Call to Baja. I've heard about it. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but oh, I, I will. We'll send you one immediately. I'm working on the two other books. The next one is The Sea and Me. That was all about these crossing of the world. And yeah. The next one is called The the Birth of a Smile. That's the ball about the Manx. And it's so true, you know, the 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 way that a that 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 a car, that something that seems like an inanimate object can bring people joy because it, it transports us and it sends us, <laughs> it, 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 in, 
it, it liberates us to live an experience, whether we have the experience we want or not, but it gives us the opportunity. It gives us that mobility. It, it's kind of it becomes this oneness with us, you you're, know, and, and you're full of good words. Thank you. You know, but, what I was all about was I was surrounded by walls. I have a bunch of jerks that did strange things. They, they never cared about. It's like they were college boys making pranks. But they, yeah. There wasn't any college. There were abalone divers, and I I lived among them, and they did terrible things. But I enjoyed that. I didn't want to be what like them, but I, I wanted. I I enjoyed the stories that came out of these guys. You know, yeah. there was a one of them became a bullfighter, and and he went to Spain and he he had, he had to buy all your own bullet. When you kill a bullet, it has to be yours. So he he went through all that. He became so good. He decided he'd have a bullfight in Tijuana, close to us, where we could go mm-hmm. down there and watch it. So there was huge crowds that went down there. Now after the and he he once, uh, I think you call it tail and ears. Yeah. Uh, tails and ears is, is the top of the yeah, best thing you do. So anyway, afterwards they're they're all in a little motel, people drinking in the refinery. There's a swimming pool, and these these abalone diver friends I'm talking about, mm-hmm. they they saw this as you can't leave that alone. So they pile dive off the bark, off the high board, and they splashed everybody drinking, and got everybody pissed off. And they called the cops. The, the Mexican police came with a with a uh, a paddy wagon. They threw the keys to the paddy wagon in the pool. They pushed the cops in the pool. The Mexican <laughs> cops. See, these guys are really badasses. Yeah. <laughs> But see, we never saw them again for weeks because they're all in the Mexican jail. See, but see, this is what the Manx was born in a surround of is this kind of dis um, disclaimer of being a good guy and being a, a crazy guy was what they're all. They were like college boys telling pranks on each other. And, yeah. And I think the Manx was gave I gave it some sort of that spirit of craziness. There's a big building being built a couple blocks away, and there's one of these abalone divers up there. He's drunk, and they got a spotlight on him, and it's 10 stories high or something. So they get mm-hmm. the ladders out, and they're setting the firemen up to get him down, and he pisses on him. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> then he fishes on them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these abalone divers, these are guys you're hanging out with at the time back then? Oh, they're cuckoo. They're, they're, yeah. They're, they're a bunch of ski bums that come down from, from the mountains when the snow goes away in the spring to make money diving under the water, getting out, which was a lot of money. They made $7 a dozen. I think the record was 130 dozen in one day. Oh, wow. And seven bucks each. You know, that's a lot of money. So anyway, that's what it was all about. They were chasing the bucks, but they were also crazier. And, and, I, and I was surrounded by all this. I think it had an effect on the way I designed the car. Yeah, so so talking about the design of the car, I had a, I had a couple of questions. The name Manx, how did where did the name Manx come from? Roden Track Magazine. Really? Only because my wife Shirley, who worked there daily at the advertising desk, and the Johnny Lane Bond, the publishers were very sweet. They had a family like atmosphere, and Elaine Bond was this imperious woman she smoked and uh, she stood tall among she went through the offices and ran the place 
and Julie or Julie uh, Shirley went through all the offices. There were 33 people, and Bruce is looking for a name for that thing he's working on. Well, the guys had come to see it, and out of the 33 people, the name Manx came out four times, and so. I walked in at 4.30 and Elaine says, Bruce, it looks like they got a name for you. It's called the Max. I said, that's great. She says, it ought to be Myers Max. I said, no, 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 Elaine. I'm a little too shy for that. She says, no, it'll be good for you someday. So there you are. I had nothing to do with it. Elaine, so that's it. did you know what a Manx was when they told you they were going to call it a Manx? Well, I, I was told that it was a tailless cat from the Isle of Man. <laughs> and that's that- what it is. Yeah, that's that's wild, you know, because because there's a lot of these things that take place during the time of the evolution of these things that are just serendipity. Like you you start to develop this car and just by happenstance, you said your wife's working for the magazine at the time and all these things start to come into play. And it's it, it's the natural progression, the way these things kind of come to their fluidity. So you, you develop the Manx, you end up battling in a lawsuit for the rights for the buggy, all this nonsense with thieves in the world doing this stuff. But then you design a couple other vehicles. You, you come out with the Toad. So so what's the sequence in which the cars come out now well, at this point? See, I, I also uh, started something else, a Saddleback <laughs> Park, a motorcycle park. Uh, it's because oh, really? I used to go across the street from the shop. Uh-huh. That was one of the smaller shops I was in because the people would get off the airplane to come over and talk to us about being a dealer well i wanted to show them what the hell the car would do they had no clue that it would just climb cliffs you know and I, right there was a great big many many acres had been prepared to be a, a plant for an aircraft factory but then they went away and so they never did build the aircraft factory but they'd done a lot of grading of great ditches and drainages and so forth and mm-hmm. so we myself and vic wilson who was my sales manager went out there with a couple of buggies and a couple of these guys from Chicago or someplace. And we spent 20, 30 minutes showing them what a Manx would do. They had no clue that there were such little tigers because they, because the weight is all over the tail end of the car. The car has a lot of traction. Yeah. Big tires and soft rubber and all that makes the thing really quite amazing. And so we shipped them up and they, they signed up to be a dealer and, maybe signed up for 10 buggies or something. And so that's the way I did my business. Well, there's a, a, a squad or a, a patrol car from the, the, uh, the ranch, the mm-hmm. Orange County ranch. And uh, he says, the guy's name is Barker or something. He says, Myers, he says, you got to stop doing this. If somebody gets hurt, you know, where the, the they're going to come is the, the, my bosses are going to be all over you. I said, yeah. hey, but this is something I have to do to make my business work well. I need another piece of dirt that I can do this with. So he takes that story to his bosses and he comes back a day or so later with, you can go up to this place to 700 acres. It's up in the foothills of Orange County. And that was what we turned it into, the first motorcycle park. The Saddleback Park was really where we we uh, I had another partner Joe Parkhurst was uh, the publisher of Cycle World magazine mm-hmm. he had worked at Road and Track and he was an old friend and uh, so Vic and Joe Parkhurst and myself started 
this thing. And because Joe was all about the motorcycle world, he invited Roger DeCoster and Joe Jose Ferrer, all these great bike riders from the, from Europe. They came over and the American kids didn't know what the hell it, it was all about because those guys would ride right, just fly away from them. And I, I helped lay out some of the tracks that they did at motocrossing. And uh, I couldn't believe it because they'd say, go down there and it's down a canyon. You, you, all of a sudden he goes straight up the other side. I say, you can't race. And I says, oh, yes, we will. And they would. <laughs> and, and the American kids didn't know what the hell it was all about. So here along the way, we had all those races out in the open. And it was Mickey Thompson that saw them. He said, that all would be put in a stadium, a baseball diamond. So they learned how to put dirt with over a bunch of plastic covering and, and make a, a racetrack inside of a, a place like a baseball park. And that became motocross. So I've been in the yeah. I've been in the beginning of things. I don't know. Why. So, so did you, so, so did you know Mickey Thompson? Oh yeah. Mickey Thompson tried to buy my car from me at the beginning of the 67 race. And well, see, and I had a question about that. But your your personal car, or he tried to buy the Manx off of, like, like the the. No, the... I, I I was there with my gold Manx, mm-hmm. and this was 1968, I think. Mm-hmm. No, maybe it was the first. Yeah, it was the first race, '67, and uh, I screwed up. I. Well, anyway, he came to me. He says, "I want to buy your car, and you and I are going to drive it, and win this race." And I said, I'm sorry, but the guy I've spent weeks with, with hamburger wrappers all over the shop, is that fellow right over there, Willow Thompson. And he says, no, he said, forget him. I'm going to buy you out. And he says, <laughs> and he, he pulls out a roll of paper out from under his jacket. And it's, it's a course all the way from here to there, thousand miles, every turn, every turn, every, every, everything. And yeah. I said, I can't hurt my friends. I'm sorry. I just can't do that to him. I'd love to do this with you, Mickey, but no, I'm, I just can't turn my back on the guy that helped me do this. He, so he gave up and walked away. That, wow. That was my first interview with Mickey Thompson. And that could have been a, that could have been a whole change in the dynamics of the way things went. But you know, you, you picked loyalty over the dollar, which seems to be a thread in your life that it's more about the creativity. You're not chasing the dollar, you know. But in, in all sincerity, I mean, you look at a lot of people that are that, that that are filled with ideas, and their focus is the dollar. It's not. Well, you know what? I'm living proof of that. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a rich man, but I sure have a lot of stories. No, and 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 the, the, with those stories or history, so that's the beginning of Saddleback uh, Saddleback Park of the off road, and you were that's where you would demo your cars and and, and motocross, and that's the that's where the evolution for Stadium Motocross comes from, and, and, and off road racing. See, all yeah. that is because I didn't pay attention to the dollar, and right. where you, everyone does, and I should have. But I always have more fun just chasing an idea. I don't know why I'm like that. I, maybe maybe it's because it. I can eat just as much as a rich man. I can fart. I can I can do everything that he can. I, I don't understand what you know. I realize if to be rich is lovely, you can get a, on a plane and go have breakfast in Peru or something. But yeah. I, I don't. That is not what I'm after. 
tell you what, my books, uh, you're going to get a set of them. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I definitely do a review of the books on the podcast and, uh, and definitely uh, and get the word out there about those. But So I wanted to talk about some of the evolution. So you start with the Manx platform. That's got explosive success to where there's a thousand copycats out there. And then again, you're going to do something that no one else can do. You're going to use your creativity to come up with the next new car that you design, <laughs> which was the next one in sequence was the toad was next or yeah. was it? Well, because I had the motorcycle park, we started playing with bikes a lot and mm-hmm. the family, we were going out in the deserts and uh, you know, the men, get up in the morning and they say, we're going to ride over to that purple mountain and be back before breakfast. So right. they would do that. And some of the boys would chase with them. Well, the, the young boys were always hard to pretty, they're hard to keep up with. They're, mm-hmm. they're faster than dad, you know? Yeah. And then there's all the kids and mom and mom's on a little 125 or something. And she falls down a lot, but the reason she's there is because she cares about us. She cares about being outdoors, the family, the whole works. And when she falls down, we all go back, pick her up, straighten her handlebars, put it all back together, pat her on the ass, wipe her elbow off because it's bleeding. And, right. And she does it again. Well, I got the feeling sad for her because I felt she was there for the family, but she really didn't care about riding the motorcycle. So I, I, built, I designed the simplest, absolutely simplest design is the Toad. Now, the Toad is 50-odd years old. There's over a 1,000 of them that have been around and they don't break. And all they are is one big tube that runs around like a big hairpin, picking up Volkswagen parts at each end. And the simplest little fiberglass thing that you sit in, kind of like a hammock. Yeah. People, oh, it's darling, put fenders on it. Well, I did that begrudgingly and it became a street toad. So the toad is very, very uh, endearing to the people. And mostly the women have toads. it's funny, they, I don't know what that is about it, but when I'm back east, uh, we, we we give prizes to the best this, the best that. It's always a toad with a female. I don't know what that is, but I, <laughs> I designed it for the females, and the, here they are. They take to them. And the, and the toad, it's funny, I saw a picture of you in the one that uh, Jeff Peterson found up in, uh, up in uh, I think it was like... Uh, Montana or somewhere, and he was out of Canada. He restored that that toad that had that Ford, uh, that Ford engine in it. That was an actual old race car, and I, oh. I saw a picture where he brought it to your place. I think to have you check it out, you know, because again, what you can't here's the thing: you can't buy with money. You cannot buy history. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> no, but I but I'm be, but I'm being serious about that. I mean, you, you can't you cannot replace. You being the first guy doing that, you creating these things, you putting things into into this physical world that have history, that have got documented uh, experiences in them. I mean, you've basically built these things that that people get in and have an experience. And you're very kind. Thank you. Tell me, where are you in Las Vegas? I am in Las Vegas. Yeah. Do you ever come over towards San Diego? I do. I'm I'm actually planning to head to San Diego uh, later this later this month. A friend of mine's going down there for some surgery, so I'm going to run down there and visit I, him. And I and I definitely would love to come out. Oh, oh please do, and I mean, check you, your place out. You you have a wonderful way of putting to words something about what I've been doing all my life. 
Well, and, and that, and to be in all sincerity, the reason I started the podcast is because, you know, I, I've been in, I don't know if you ever saw, there was a TV series back 10 years ago that was on the speed channel called bull run. And it was like a cannonball run reality TV show. My brother and I were in it in my VW bus. Really? And, and we, we were actually, yeah, it was like a cannonball run reality TV show. So every episode, a team would get eliminated. We were the last team eliminated against Porsches and Ferraris and all this stuff. Oh yeah. And, and, and being part of that, it was my lucky opportunity to, to go and represent VW people on national television and to do that. But ever since then, I've been so obsessed with history the history of of our hobby of these things that that sometimes people don't understand this bond that we have with with these are not machines that are just lifeless machines these are these are things that teleport us to an experience that can take you to baja i mean just the experience that i look forward to every year is driving through the baja we go there's like 70 of us when we go right we're broken into a bunch of different groups and we've all got our modern day machines but just being out there and cresting over a hill and you're in this valley of cactus and it looks like it's been planted. And meanwhile, there hasn't been a soul through the place in months. Who knows? But it's this, it's just this connection that you get with this experience and, and your vehicles have provided that for people. I mean, it, it, it took off to such a huge thing where, I mean, it was on television. It, 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 it was, it was a fad. I don't want to call it a fad because it's not a fad. A fad doesn't, a fad doesn't last for 50 years. You know what I mean? But, 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 but I'm being serious, but it's like, it's something that's created. And the, the reason why I started the VW podcast is because Volkswagens are a blank slate for anyone to take the beginnings of that car and whether you're creating a hundred thousand dollar restoration of a Heb Mueller or you're building a weekend buggy that you built with your kids and you take out hunting or you go off-roading or you do whatever. But it's 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 this culmination of all these different lifestyles and different people and and you know, but it all comes down to this basic simple thing that you can do something yourself. You can be creative on your own. Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, wow. You're you know. I'm sorry, so, but you you're a nice man. Well, I, I tell you, I, I'm I'm impressed to talk to you because I, I just love to know about your experiences you know like i was reading that at some point impy had come to you wanting you to build the impy imp now what's the story behind that <laughs> oh god when i was way back as i as i've written my little history about the manx i've been in five different shops they started out in tiny places and when i was in one of those early ones uh, with I had a fiberglasser, I think, and the dog in the doorway, and I had ten buggies hey, hanging on hooks on the wall in this little one thousand foot shop. And here comes this gorgeous, beautiful Volkswagen with this guy with a suit and tie, and he gets out. He says, "Hi, I'm Joe Vatone." He says, uh, "You are somebody that." I want to be involved with. I want, why don't we get together? I said, what do you mean? He says, well, I'm the president of the Volkswagen Dealers Association of America. There's 65 dealers. He says, uh, you, could, 
You could, I could put one of yours in every one of those dealers. That's 65 kits. That would be starting point. And I said, well, those 10 hanging on the wall are all sold. I was real proud of that. I could not put together 65 in his hands and 10 in my hands. <laughs> right. This is how stupid I was. See, I was all about just doing what I was doing. And I'm, I'm not a very good businessman, obviously. But I said, I'm sorry. He says, well, you know how to build them and create them. I know how to sell them. Why don't we get together? And I, I said, no, I'm sorry. You're a nice man, but no, I don't want to. And that's it. I turned him down. You know when the big guys come knocking at your door, but if you look at all those things, few of those things are as sought after as an original Myers makes. Yes. Because of the fact of it's the original. It's the yeah. one that started it all. I mean, there's been a, I mean, you go to dunebuggyhistory.com and, and it's, I mean, there's over 250 copycats of that. <laughs> and the, and listen, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Yeah. And so you really have to look at it from the standpoint of you were at the beginning of this that launched so many, so many different avenues of enthusiasts, you know, and propelled so many other people. So, I mean, that's something hugely to be, to, to really be proud of it. And then to actually, you know, a lot of other people you'll see were motivated by the dollar, like we were talking about. And the guy comes to you and most people just see like dollar signs and say like, Hey, this is great. Let me latch up with MP. But you're looking at it thinking, well, I like doing my own thing. And who knows if it would have worked out you working for somebody else. Cause you seem to, <laughs> you, you seem to want to do what you want to do. Oh, my life would have been different had I taken him up on that, obviously, but I'm not unhappy about what I've done since. And I'm well, not a rich man, but right now I'm building a new Manx. I'm 93 years old. Yeah. Let's hope that when you get out here in a month or so, it'll be far enough along where I'd like to show it to you. I'd love to see it. I mean, you know, but but the creation to come out. So I wanted to talk about some of the other models. Let's talk about some of the other models that came out. So we talked about the Toad, how the Toad came out. Now, one of my favorite ones that I love the look of is the is the SR. Well, that was... Now, that what's the story for, behind that car? That stands for... SR stands for Stuart Reed. I was thinking, well, I've got the Manx that's a dual purpose on and off-road, and I have the Toad, which at that time was purely off-road. I thought, well, maybe I ought to have something which is purely the street. And uh -huh. so I was dorking around with a little bunch of sketches of, of a little something for the street, made much like a Manx, but more complex. And I wasn't terribly happy with it. I knew a, a man I had met with the Bonds, his name is, oh God, he's a great, great man. He's dead now, damn it, and I can't remember his name. He, he was the head of the, the art school in Pasadena. Mm -hmm. And I phoned him up and I said, I'm thinking about doing something for the street, but I'm not too happy with what I'm sketching. He says, I just happen to have a kid that has got a fabulous wonderful sense of design and i think he would be the guy f for you well he sent yeah. reed down Stuart reed had a mile of sketches which were very impressive and i put him to work now i designed the way it all goes together the way you hook it up and all of the surfaces the engineering part yes and and Stuart put the dress 
of the shape of it. And we did that together. And he was with me for two years. And we're still dear friends today. And that was that. Stuart, Stuart was a little bit on the religious side. Uh-huh. And when the phone would ring in the, in the R&D shop, he'd walk over to it and say, uh, Hallelujah, God is love. <laughs> so <laughs> I say, that's fine, Stuart. I, lo- I love God, too. But let's just say Myers-Manx. Uh, yeah, they're, call- <laughs> they're calling for a Manx. Well, <laughs> and he's still that way. That's <laughs> The interesting part is there's less of those. Obviously, as we see the evolution from the lawsuit and things like that, production starts yeah. to drop because once everybody can just not now. Now every guy that was selling boats yesterday well, is now building the, the dune car buggies. Was, the car was complicated enough to where you wouldn't want to copy it too quickly. It well, had, and, I think it had nine or ten pieces, you know, but uh, of fiberglass, and and it was later picked up as we went down, and there was an auction. Uh, others took the molds from the. SR and there was uh, I believe three other companies after the first one did very well the second one was down in Oklahoma and the third one was back east and he failed but at any rate yeah the, the car is still a uh, a piece of art that is, I had something to do with and I can't take total claim for it but uh, you know I was sitting at the art center school in Pasadena Last time they had a car show, and uh, I was sitting in a chair. The old red, the original Manx, was sitting over here, bumper to bumper with a, an SR of Stewart's. Really a beautiful SR. And there was a, a, a big man that stood there, and he introduced himself as a man from Russia, and he had a mm-hmm. heavy Russian accent. And he's he, talking to me about the cars. I said, well, you know, cars are two different things. They're art. And they're engineering. He, yeah. he stopped and he, he, no, he didn't like that. He said, no, 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 they're all engineering. I said, well, wait a minute. This car on the right is a dune buggy. The car on my left is a sports car. Now open the hood and look at the engine. They're both the same. They both have the, the same chassis. The SR was built on Manx chassis, short Volkswagen. Yeah, I said all the engineering is the same on both cars, but one is a dune buggy and one is a sports car. And he walked around. He stood there, pulling his chin, staring at them, looking at these things. And I went on busily talking with other people, and I occasionally glanced over at him, and he'd look at me and nod, yes. I changed, <laughs> his, I changed his mind. <laughs> Imagine that big. Being a Russian engineer would think only engineers is the world of everything. The platform being so universal and by changing the weight ratio of what it's got to carry changes the performance characteristics of it. Yeah. You know, so where, where you can take it from, uh, you can make it a, a, a truck to haul stuff around or you can make it a sports car. <laughs> well, you know, the fact that I used Ferdinand Porsche's Gigas was wonderful because he built a little car when when hitler said build the build the people's car he designed a car that was for it had a little body that was easier on the wind fairly not streamlined but it was very very better than most cars in those days and it carried four people it went highway speeds won 23 horsepower with no no water cooling. See, yeah. 
to me, all of that, it, it had all these things in the, in the way of its suspension that I, I didn't know anything about. I was learning, but he was so unique. And it's because Hitler, the world's worst man, asked, asked this genius, and now we have this thing. He built twice as many as Henry Ford did with Model T's. Oh, well, yeah. Model T's were around 14 million. The Volkswagen Beetle was around 23 or 4 million. Yeah. It's incredible. And in, in the production, I had a 2003 Mexican Beetle. one of the last new ones that I had, but it was, a, it was an old air-cooled Beetle from 2003, the year before 04 when they stopped production. But, I mean, even up until Brazil, they stopped making them in Brazil about two years ago. So they were still making them in Brazil back then. Yeah. But and they I'm made telling them, you. They made it, them in Australia. They made them in Africa. They made them in, in Mexico. Back to you because this is the, because this podcast is about you and your history. Also, it's not just about the car. But so when you when when you closed down Manx in seventy one and, and you kind of pulled out of the scene, what did you do then for a living, or where did you transition into after the bitterness of like you know lo- going through this obvious situation you went through with the Manx? What did you do after that? I was so angry at that courtroom. You see, I was forty two years old. I was still a boy, and, and imagine I. I thought a courtroom was a place of dignity and honesty sure, and all that. And here I found an old judge. It was last day as a judge, last day in court, and a lawyer that was tricky. I, my lawyer was the son of the last of, of a five-man uh, law, law firm, and he had never been in a courtroom. He was only, he was 21 or two, and he, I think he's, he objected twice, and the, the, the old judge grunted and scuffed at him. The old judge was falling asleep, and he, he'd snort <clears throat> and wake himself up. <laughs> I, I don't think anything ever good comes out of a courtroom. You know, you, they, you would like to think that, I, trust me, I'm, I'm a contractor in construction, and I've been in a, a few circumstances where I've gone into a law firm, and sometimes you'll stand there and say, listen, this is based on principle, and here's the principle. And then the attorney looks at you and goes, we're not talking about principle today. We're talking about the dollars and what it costs, and it's easier to go out this way versus spending more money to go that way. And it definitely, I don't think anybody gets a good taste in their mouth after dealing with something like that. You know, I sat on the stand and once told the judge, I said, you know, I said, this was such a fabulous success. I said, I was on magazines of every mag. There was 45 magazines and I was on most of them on car and driver. I was on their, their, their cover three times. Yeah. And the, the old judge said, look, look out for your something. He said, perjury under his breath he didn't believe me after all that takes place the company goes into liquidation i guess is what yeah. happens and oh, then yeah. just everything gets liquidated you're obviously it's got to be a frustrating time in your life now you're taking this thing that brought you so much joy and you're now moving in a different direction now was that because of competition or you were given a cease and assist to stop making the buggy is that what happened there no no the the, the copiers see it went into the press that myers lost his patent and uh, oh. so there we go. The doors are wide open and everybody jumps on it because it was so successful. And the copiers were usually people that were had never been in business. There was 
one guy that he told me he had a pickup truck with a little motorcycle trailer with a, a buggy, Manx buggy kit, a brand new one that he'd got from us. And uh-huh. he went from town to town, wherever there's a fiberglass shop, and he'd say, I've got this little Manx out here that uh, is such a big hot deal in California right now. They'd been all reading about it. And so I'll, I'll let you copy it, make a splash bolt, and I'll set that motel over there for a day or two until it's over with. He'd stay for two or three or four days. And he did that for 50 times across the United States. Wow. He took me to lunch to tell me that. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting See, lunch. Now, what, what do you think? I, I was so bitter that, that I, I, didn't, I didn't realize the dishonesty of so many people or the, or the lack of their own creativity. Yeah. And, and so many of them weren't even good salespeople. They often sold them for less than their own costs and went yeah. out of business. So they came and went fast. And and they cr- it crossed the oceans. It was in all, it was in all over Europe. As I said, I went to the 25th anniversary of the buggy in Europe, and I, yeah. I went to various other countries over there where the buggy was all over the place. And we were, of course, Woody and I were treated nicely. But, uh, you know, the whole thing got so huge during which the, the bigger it got, the, the more pissed I was. Yeah. And, well, until I learned that I could not be well, pissed. Yeah. Just think about but, the fat, the happy faces in the cars. And there's just one Bruce Meyer who kicked it all off. And that's no one else can say that. I mean, that's, I think, where you stand, where you can reconcile all that stuff. And, and, and you're not a cheat and you're not a thief and you're an honest guy and you've got integrity. And most importantly, above everything else, you're a creator. To where these other people are just, they just take, they consume in life. But no, you've actually contributed. That's right. I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, no, you, you're, you, I, I, Listen, I'm in awe to, to have you on the podcast, but I do want to talk about when you, so Myers, BF Myers closed down. What do you, what is, what happens in your life after that? What do you do to pursue for business? I, uh, I built a house in Mexico. I went to Baja for eight years. I, I built a house down in the Mexico, on the, the Bay of Los Angeles. Oh, Bay of LA. Yeah. That's, I've been there. It's, yeah. And, I love it. Yeah. It's a pretty place. And uh, that was because a lot of my friends were going there, and I, we wound up doing that. And, uh, oh, I, I built boats. I, I built a car for John DeLorean. Did you really? Yeah, and uh, that's all in the book. The book is, that's in the aftermath, after the, the, the my P.O.P. period, pissed off period. <laughs> <laughs> and is the book available now? <laughs> no, it's well, one book, one little book I've written a couple of years ago. That's the call to Baja. I'll, the I'll call say. to Baja is your first book. Yeah, but these other two books, they're being put, put together right now. Where I'm, I'm going through getting all the right pictures and stuff for the various chapters, and all that stuff. So it, those two books will be in the spring. Oh, and, and for sure, I, I'll definitely want to get you back on the podcast to talk specifically about those books, where people can find those books, because this history is this history is really valuable. I'm going to have a book signing at the. Peterson Museum in Los Angeles. Right now, Old Red is up there. Oh, really? I, I, I'm told that there's some kind of a gathering of the dune buggy world. Some of the, I think, Joe Tone's buggies and some others. Love I, it. They, they asked for it for a whole year for Old Red. So, yeah. And I said, 
I will if you'll allow a book signing while that year as the book is still being put together. He says, absolutely. I said, I'm talking to the historian of, of the museum. And I said, I'd like to have a forward. I said, could you write a forward? He says, I'd be honored. So I'm, that's what's going to happen. So we'll, we'll let you know. And that's to be determined. So I'm lo- I'm looking forward to that. And I'll make it a point to see if I can't get there when you're doing the book signing. Um, if And especially my, my plan when I get down to San Diego is to come visit you for sure. Because I'd love to come down there, shake your hand, and, and uh. kind of hear some more stories and definitely help you. Um, help you get the book out there and promote it because I think it's something of huge value to a lot of people, a lot of us that that appreciate the hobby for what it is and appreciate all the people that have contributed to the hobby because that's what makes this hobby so robust is all the individuals that bring something to the hobby for the rest of us to enjoy. And that's that's definitely a place that you have um, in in history. And I, and I tell you, I, when I was telling people, because, you know, like I said, I was, I was leaving for the dunes today. So I postponed my trip so that I could have this interview with you because it was that important to me. And I'm going to Dumont sand dunes and I've got my, I've got my buggy loaded in my trailer and all my buddies that are out there. And I've got friends. Uh, I was just in an off-road race last week and I said, yeah, I'm going to be getting Bruce Myers, man. Everyone was like, wow, Bruce Myers. Really? I said, yeah, I'm gonna have Bruce Myers in the podcast. And, <laughs> and from what you created, so many things have spurred off of that. Just from, you know, I think you're the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> well, listen, I think you're awesome, and I'm looking forward to the day when I get to shake your hand and meet you and uh, get a couple of pictures with you because the history is what you can't replace. And to be able to talk to the man that lived it and did it, that's a rich life. You know, I, I was just with my wife's daughter's family, and there's a 16 year old boy, and I think about I asked him, what do you want to do when you grow up? He says, I'm a skateboarder. I want to be picked up by a skateboard guy. Yeah. Imagine that. I said, wait a minute. Do you read books? No, he doesn't read books. That's all. (laughs) As a kid, that's, I was all, all about mutiny on the bounty and all these sea stories and God, I just, what is he missing? What is he missing? And that's what that's what caused this curiosity in me to go and see these things. And he he's all about a skateboard. Well, and I think part of that comes from the the access that we have. I mean, okay, I'm 47, right? So I, I I'm not as wise and profound as yourself. And I think to myself sometimes, man, I've been around for a while, but you've been around a lot longer. And when I was a kid the limitations of exposure we had to things. You know, I, I chase my kids out of the house and go, go to the mall, go talk to some girls, go meet some people, go do stuff. Don't sit in here on your phone and on the computer because I think what's happened is the world is at, is literally at their fingertips on the phone, on the computer. They can see wherever they want and virtually experience everything. I know. But the, the actual physical experience, you know, when, when you take somebody and put them in that car and drive to the middle. My wife goes with me to Mexico on this trip that we go to, and she just, she loves it. She's like, I just love it. I love being out in the middle of nowhere, no phones ringing, no anything. And, and, and I think that'll be, instead of people seeking 
big cities and this stuff are vacations, they'll start to, they'll seek that disconnect. That's where you'll see the, the, the switch going. Because when you're young, you're looking, you're, you're traveling to all these exotic places and these wonderful places that you've heard of and read about, and you want to see and feel and see what that's about. And I think because we have an overabundance of access to everything, I think that people will start to, will start to appreciate. Well, there's another thing that entered my life when I was 17 I was a lifeguard on the beach at Hermosa Beach. Yeah. A surfer and all that stuff. And there was a war going on. It was 1942. And I couldn't stay out of it. You know that in the First World War in 1917, 200,000 American boys crossed the ocean to get into the war. Yeah. Before we ever got into it. They They couldn't wait. And they probably got killed. But... That kind of spirit is something I was the same way. And so my friend and I hitchhiked to San Francisco to join the Merchant Marine. And we get to the window <laughs> and the guy says, well, boys, you're only 17. you got to have a letter from your mom or your dad. Duh. And we hitchhiked all the way back to Hermosa, 450 miles, hitchhiked back to San Francisco. We were in the Merchant Marine. See, today, nice. today, if somebody said, you got to have a letter from your mom or your dad, He'd walk out the sidewalk right himself, would have some guy sign it and walk back in. See, right. The, the, the sensibility of the honesty was something, there was no question about cheating. I didn't know how to do that. See, that was a time. It was an it was an honest time well, where, inte- where, where know, integrity made a difference. And there's a reason that it's referred to as the greatest generation. That's what he said, didn't he? Tom Brokaw is the guy that said Tom Brokaw, that's it. Yep. And I was a part of all that, and that was part of the reason for the life I've led, is I started out being adventurous just when I was a kid. And I've just been that way all my life, I guess. I was my mother said when I was a little boy and I was going to grammar school, I think I was in the third grade, I I couldn't read very well. Yeah, and when when I read Jack and Jill went up the hill, you know, or whatever, and all the kids, they all laughed at what I did because I couldn't read. So mom and the teacher got together and said, "Let's let's get him going here." When you when you're in the car driving down the street, mom and dad dad's driving, let the boy read all the signs aloud. So I started saying restaurant, gas station, laundry. And, and they corrected me, and they taught me how to read. So yeah. I came I came back to being a better reader than the, the, most of the kids. But the thing is that my mom said, and I hate to tell you this, but he says he's talented. He's he's special. He's he's something with, with this talent. And so the teacher, because I was so. Um, destroyed by the kids laughing at the way it read. Yeah. They wanted to make sure that it didn't lose whatever it is that makes you okay. And so the teacher says, he's very talented artistically. Let's have him paint the windows in the schoolroom, make an undersea. So I spent a whole semester painting an undersea scape on all the, the windows of the room where the other kids were doing their other stuff. I'm oh, up wow. there. Mom and 
mom and the teacher got together and kept me from losing my sense of self, I guess. Yeah. Maybe well, that you, was it. Being able to being able to, to to harness what you're good at and you know, all this stuff is in the book. Well, I'm excited. I'm I'm excited <laughs> for the book to come out and I'm definitely here to help you let the world know about that book because oh, uh, you're such a sweet guy. It, it, it'll be my pleasure. Well, Bruce, I'm 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 i really I'm really um, feeling like I've met somebody really nice. You're a good you're a good guy, and I want to hear more of you when you come here. Absolutely. Well, I I'll hope, make it a point to stop by and see you. I hope the car is up to the point where it's. How long do you? Think maybe a month yeah it'll be january 15th somewhere around there middle oh, of january see. oh I'll i'm not sure there. i can i don't know i won't have the car along but i'll show it to you anyway that's all right we'll uh we'll en we'll enjoy in that and i and, and and nothing i love more than than to hear the stories of how it really happened so uh Bruce, I thank you for coming on the podcast, and I promise to have you back on as soon as your books are ready, and you're going to have your book signing. So I'll promote that. I'll help you promote that, and I'll definitely help you um, let it, get the word out that you've got books available. Because I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Well, Bruce. I sure told you a long story, didn't I? Oh, I love it. I love it, and we'll be definitely be doing another one for sure. So I'm looking okay. forward to that, Bruce. Bill, it's okay. Bruce, it's been a pleasure to have you on. And if anybody wants to to get a hold of you, then go to then go to the Myers Manx website, which is myersmanx.com. Yeah, that's and it. then and then uh, they can also follow you on Facebook and also check out the Manx Club as well. Is that right? Yeah. Thank you so, very much. Hey, Bruce, it's been a pleasure, and I look forward to meeting you in person. And uh, I'll definitely uh, we'll send some people to your website, and uh, okay. I'm looking forward to that book coming out. I, I am too. <laughs> Bruce, it's been a pleasure. Thanks I want to have, have a good night and tell Winnie I said thanks. I will. Thank you very much. You're, you're, right. a, great, you're a great guy. Hey, Thank thanks, you. Bruce. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. There you have it. Kicking off our first interview for 2020 with a bang. Bruce Myers, living legend. The guy's got stories for days, and I could sit and rap with that guy for a long time. I really appreciate a lot of the stories he had. And if you guys appreciate the podcast, make sure you go and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and also give us a review on Apple iTunes or Spotify. We're also available on Google Play as well. So make sure you share the podcast. And if you want to support, go to letstalkdubs.com and check out the store, pick up a t-shirt, support the podcast. We appreciate you guys. Also wanted to give a shout out to Blake Hathaway, gave us a five-star review. Uh, he enjoys the podcast. He likes how we break down some of the terminology that some people may not be familiar with. So don't forget, rate and review us. Get a shot out on the podcast. Appreciate all you guys. And until next week, later. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have a